Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, and so grateful to share this story with you. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. We're so glad you've joined us. Welcome, Steve. I'm so excited to connect with you and learn more about your story. Well, thank you very much. And I was actually very honored that you asked me to do this. It's my pleasure. Sure thing. And it's, well, just exciting. I think even though you're featured in a documentary put together by Jay Blankenfeld, who's been interviewed on this podcast years ago, uh, it's always neat to, I think, dive in a little bit deeper, right? Than what we have such a brief time for in a documentary that shares so many other stories. No, I agree. Jay was instrumental on launching me a little bit in my community, which in my town here in Vacaville, I think there's probably four or five people have now gone and had it done. So it benefited. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, tell us more about, how about we start with your diagnosis story? Yeah, that's, it's kind of a, it's not an odd story, but it was odd for me at the time, but I was, uh, to go all the way back to 1995, that's when the doctors think it was my first symptom of, uh, of uh, multiple sclerosis. So uh, I was playing softball and I was in the outfield and a ball was hit to me, went straight up and I got underneath to catch it and I just fell flat on my face. My legs just gave out. Oh, yikes. Um, didn't know why it was kind of odd, but, you know, I was in my 30s. I don't know what why I did that, but it did it. But anyway, moving forward from that, uh, I did go to the doctor, matter of fact, and I said my legs were tingling and numb and they couldn't find anything wrong and they thought it could have been a pinched nerve. So after that, years had gone by, which can happen with MS, the symptoms can go away and hide. Mm. Um, 2009 was my next, um, well, I'm sorry, went too far. 2005 was my next major symptom. I was driving home from work. And it felt like a line went down from my forehead all the way down my body. And the left side of me went completely numb. And the right side was fine. While you were driving. While I was driving. Yeah. And I thought that, you know, the first thing you think about, that's a heart attack. Right. And and I did my normal 45-minute commute, which was the dumbest thing on earth, and got home and went immediately to emergency and as soon as you say something about your heart or numbness like that, they immediately take you in. And uh, I had to, I waited hours. They kept died, trying to diagnose me. I was there for hours. I finally called my wife and said, I think I'm going to be a little late getting home. So pause dinner. And uh, anyway, I was admitted and I stayed there for three days. <laughs> well, did you tell and, her why to yeah. pause dinner at least? Did you tell her no, you were in the I, ER? No, because that's not me. I, I just didn't want to worry. I, no, I didn't want her to worry. I, I'm more of that warrior type person. I'm going to get through this. Maybe it's a guy thing, probably. But, um, but I, I, you know, I did call her finally, obviously. But they did admit <laughs> right. me. Uh, they ran tests on me for three days. They could not figure out what was wrong. And then they finally, at the end, they said they think possibly I had a small stroke. Oh, my um, gosh. How did that feel? That, that. Well, it was heart wrenching. No pun intended with the stroke. No, but it was heart wrenching. At forty five, right? That I had a stroke. That was that was horrible. Uh, thought, well, you know, I'm not that. I've got a little bit of a spare tire around me, but it's not that bad. It's. I thought maybe I need to start losing weight and working out. And so anyway, went home, and then moving to two thousand nine, um, I was out, and it gets warm here in Vacaville, so it was probably. 101, 102 outside. And I went out for a run on a Saturday morning. It was beautiful outside other than the heat. I love the heat, by the way. So I went out, I was training for a half marathon and I got to mile three 
and all of a sudden my right leg, I developed foot drop and I couldn't pick my leg, it was slapping on the concrete and I could not pick it up. And I had no idea what that was. So I sat down on the curb, try to gather my thoughts, what's going on, and then called my wife and she came and got me. So getting home, uh, cooled down, and again, heat will activate your MS. So cooling down, cold compresses around my neck and everything, trying to cool down. Everything felt normal again. So I thought, okay, that back to the pinched nerve thing in 1995. Right. So I thought, that's, that's, that's got to be a pinched nerve thing. Maybe I need to go to the doctor, look at my neck. I've always had neck problems. So the next morning, Sunday, I went out on my run to see, okay, well, what's going on? Everything was fine. And then exactly the same place, three miles, my I developed foot drop again. Huh. So not wanting to shame myself, I walked back home. Um, didn't want to bother my wife or scare her. But how did the so walk wa- go? Like, did you still uh, have foot drop? Uh, yeah, for for quite a while because it was so hot, I couldn't cool down. Mm. So you know, it, it got a little better, but not a hundred percent better. So I worked my way back home, got home, cooled down. Then I got on a treadmill and I thought I'm going to run in the garage and see what happens. So I started running and. I don't know, maybe a mile. It happened again, hmm. and I had a water bottle, and I threw the bottle, water bottle as hard as I could under the ground, and it broke because I knew something was wrong. So went to the doctor, waited a week, wait, went to the doctor on Friday, and the, my doctor wasn't there, but the intern was there, and he diagnosed me on Friday afternoon late. He said, you either have uh, muscular dystrophy uh, what was the other one? Forgot the other one or MS. Hmm. And uh, I, when he said that, I mean, he sent you home on a Friday thinking, what, no, what do I have? Right. So did it, he it's, order it's, MRIs? Well, no, cause he was an intern and he couldn't. Right. Um, so I had to wait for the doctor to get back with me and he did. It, it was Monday. He, I have a pretty good doctor. Um, he ordered MRI, did all the, you know, went down, got the results, took about a week. And he called me on the phone and he said that uh, I was at work. I'll never forget that. I was at work and he called and he says that you have MS mm. without doing anything, just looking at the lesions in my brain and my spine. So he said, you do have MS. Oh, my gosh. So, so even bef- yeah. between 2005 and 2009, did you have other symptoms? None at all. Wow. I didn't have any, nothing at all. It just, it, I guess it just laid dormant. I don't know why. I had kind of a stressful job at times. I mean, it, it was not all the time, but at times, I think maybe the, in 2005, maybe it was a bad week. I don't know. And all of a sudden it just, it hit me and, uh, it, yeah, it did scare me, but nothing between 2005 and 2009. Fascinating. And so your doctor just kind of lays this out over the phone. Gee whiz, that's heavy. Yeah. And, and again, me being me, I didn't say I immediately went up and told my secretary I was crying because I, she's, you know, he said, you have MS. That's first thing you think of. I think anybody that's had MS or been diagnosed, you think I'm going to be in a wheelchair in a week. Right. So I went up and and told my secretary, I'm going home and I drove all the way home. I didn't say anything to anybody until I got into town. And then I went in and told my wife at work and it was just devastating. It was scared her. It was like, she was in shock. Sure. Well, and as a marathoner, clearly you were running. Yeah, I was, I tried, I tried my best to stay in shape. And like I said, I think in 2005, them saying I had a stroke was the best thing in the world because I lost some weight, started running again. I felt really good. So, uh, yeah, it so obviously was not a stroke. No. And so I'm sure your wife was overwhelmed for you to show up and also share this oh, de- devastating Oh, definitely. News. Yeah, she's, you know, she's always been my support. And then she could see the worry in my eyes. I know she did. I always tried to hide it, but um, I, I can tell she could see it in my eyes. Sure. And so did you start treatment right away? Yeah, they put me on Rebif. Mm. Um, send me that. Yeah, immediately on Rebif. I mean, it was immediately. I was. I, they had the uh, home nurse or whatever they call it, consultant. 
whatever she was to show oh, me how to do yeah. the shots. Mm-hmm. So she came over and showed me and I'm watching her where I'm supposed to put all these shots. And I, I said, well, <laughs> that, I got to do this the rest of my life. And she said, well, until there's another treatment or this treatment doesn't work or you, you know, just, it just isn't your thing. So I said, I got to tell it wasn't going to be my thing. So I started doing the shots and I hated every shot. And I probably, I mean, I calculated one day, I think I had 1500 shots. I oh think my it was. gosh. How often and did I, you it, have to inject yourself? It was uh three, it was three times a week. And, and it you just, rotate it, different places in your body. Yeah, yeah. And what I found out that three times a week, you never have a good week right. because I, I did, I always did mine on Monday and then I would do it on Wednesday and then Thursday. So the reason why I have a thought process, Mondays, nobody likes anyway. So do it on Monday. Everybody's having a bad day. Do it Monday, right. Wednesday. It's the middle of the week. You're almost there give yourself a shot. And then I would do it on Thursday because I wanted to have a three day weekend, no shots. Sure. So yeah. I, I, and then I, as, as I was doing, I was like, I, you never have a good week ever. And I don't like this at all. So I just, I was a good soldier and I did my thing. But yeah. But, did you have sight like reactions at all? You know, a little bit, sometimes once in a while I find I couldn't do, there was something about when you did it in your gut. I don't know what it was. I, I, I skipped that. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do the gut. It just. It's definitely it, it weird to inject yourself in the stomach. Yeah, it is. My, if you could call it favorite was my thigh. Yeah. Uh, that, that was nothing. It was the, for some reason, the back of your arm was a little tender and yes. your back, back was bad too. <laughs> so but I had to skip the gut because I didn't like that. I don't know. It felt like somebody was stabbing me with a fork or something, a, a dull fork. But yeah, I did that for a while. And then after I couldn't take it anymore, I, I told my new neurologist, who I love dearly, I love the man to death, but uh, I, I used to go to UCSF, but um, I told him I couldn't do it anymore. So then we went to uh, Ty Sabri. So I did a little research and I oh, thought, okay, boy. great. This is, this is the one that kills your brain. Yeah. So this is going to, this is going to be good. So I did that and I'll have to admit it made me feel good. It was a monthly uh, infusion. So it, right. I did it when I, as soon as I did it, I felt great. I felt like I was on a thousand vitamins and I felt phenomenal. Really? In the la- and yeah, I did. I felt really good. And then the last three days of the month, I could feel myself wearing down mm. and it just, I just didn't feel very good. So I did that for a short period of time. And then, so where in this timeline did you find HSCT? How did you even come to find HSCT? Probably the thing that I hate the most, that's where I found it. And when I say hate the most, I just think it's a lot of garbage in is a uh, Facebook. Um, Right. I did. I did see Christy Cruz. I'm sure you know who she is, right? Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So Christy, I did see her, her piece on uh, 60 Minutes, um, which is titled Russian Roulette. And I watched that and I thought, you know, why can't I do this? I mean, her, her MS was quite a bit worse than mine was. My EDSS number was a one and a half, two right in there. So I looked at her and, and I thought, oh, if she can do it, I know I can do it. So I got to researching it. I got in contact with her, which to this day today, I'm still in contact with her. Good. Um, she's a phenomenal person. I mean, it just I love her to death for what she taught me. So then I just started reaching out and making phone calls and looking at more people and going to groups and on Facebook and learning more and more about it. And I'm kind of a risk taker anyway. So I thought if this is a risk, I'm going to take it. And I decided, uh, that's the direction I wanted to go. Uh, and at that time, other than the other countries, Russia was the only option that fit me that or Tel, Tel Aviv. I was, uh, interested in going to Israel, Thought maybe that was a possibility, but Mexico didn't exist. Well, Mexico did exist. Mexico has been around for centuries, but, <laughs> right. but the clinic, the clinic in Mexico didn't exist. Uh, Dr. Burt was doing in Chicago. Um, as you know, that, um, 
I did call Dr. Bird and I thought her wording was a little weird, but I gave her all my information and she did let me know that I wasn't quite sick enough. <laughs> so I thought right. that was kind of a poor, poor choice of words, but uh, I didn't have any reaction to my drugs. I wasn't, you know, the protocol they have for, you know, I just didn't fit. You were because one still, drug shy from, yeah, right. Probably. Yes. Qualifying. Yeah. I mean, I was still, I was going around, I was working, I worked every day. I never stopped working. Um, you know, I had my moments of my symptoms, but you know, cause the symptoms were getting worse. So I, they were definitely there and I felt I was definitely sick enough because it's progressing. Sure. Not, not super fast, but it was progressing. So, uh, yeah, that, that's how I decided that I was going to go ahead and, uh, and go forward with the HSCT. Um, was it hard to trust the information you were getting out of Facebook? You know, I think most people would say yes, <laughs> but talking to Christy personally, mm. I would say no. I'm probably too trusting of a person. So I figured that, uh, you know, if she could do it and she's an RN, she's a nurse, um, you know, she must know something about the medical field if she is a nurse. Right. Well, and once you make, I think once you make that personal connection or have a real conversation, Right. Like that's right. part of my motivation behind this podcast was a, how do you reach the people that are not on Facebook and B, how do you know, like, how can you trust what you see in these comments? Exactly. And it's like no, exactly snippets of thought, right? It's not a full story. It's not like the information I needed to know. I didn't even know about any of the Facebook groups before I went to HSE. Okay. And that's another story, yeah. but um, <laughs> it's, it, you know, kudos to you for finding that courage, but also finding your way to making that personal connection with someone to really listen about their personal experience. Well, thank you. But yeah, I, I do. I'm a researcher. I do research. Most things I do, I do maybe take a, a jump into things that maybe a little too quickly. My wife will tell you that. Um, but <laughs> I, I needed to do it. I really need to do it. I contact, I used to walk, I used to do all the, uh, the MS walks. I'm involved with the pipe fitters union and there's 32 of them in the state of California. Mm -hmm. And I, so to me it was, you know, and I've been there for a year. I've, you know, I retired now I'm 61, so I don't work anymore, but I worked in the trade for 40 years. So I knew a lot of people. So when I did the MS walks, if all I had to do is make a phone call and I would get huge donations. Oh, so wow. Mean, it's huge. I mean, not huge, huge, but I mean, I would, I would raise over $20,000. That's significant. In a, in a matter of like 30 days. And all of a sudden they latched onto me and they like, why, how can you raise it that quickly? And to me, I'm kind of dumbfounded. And I'm like, wait, well, you just make a phone call and you get money. I didn't realize how hard it really was. Mm, for most so, people, sure. Exactly. And I kudos to those people, not to me. I just made a phone call from my butt. You know, I didn't do nothing. So I used to go to all the walks. Well, I got to go to the uh, MS Society top fundraiser conference twice. And when I went there, I was at that time researching HSCT. Mm. And I really got the cold shoulder bad. Oh, really no. Bad. Yeah, very bad. I'm not going to go into details, but it was, it was, I was surprised how they treated me. Were you just um, trying to find out more information from the contacts there while you were there at the conferences? Yes. Yes. From, from the, from the MS Society staff and, and their doctors. And, you know, I just said, Hey, I got to, you know, during the breaks, before you go out to the breakout sessions mm. and you go to the next group, I, uh, you know, I ask him, what do you think about HSCT? And, you know, I'm thinking about going to Russia for this. And it, a couple of conversations got really bad. Oh, so I'm sorry. Here I am. Yeah, I, I, well, I was too for them. <laughs> um, Cause if I would have listened to them, I wouldn't have had it done. And I probably have a cane by now. So I, uh, the last time I went to the conference, I already had my ticket for Russia. Mm. So I got, I got invited again. So then here I am going to go to Russia now. And then now I'm letting them know. And they, again, were really, they kind of blackballed me a little bit. Oh <laughs> no. They, I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not really, cause I go to MS walks. I know a lot of people in the MS here in California. I know a lot of people and they know me through Facebook and they talk to me about it. 
and I, you know, one of the, one of those staff from the local chapter asked me if I wouldn't talk about it anymore. Really? And I said, okay. Yeah. And I said, okay, I promise I won't talk about it. So I immediately went over and started talking about it again. Wow. So anyway, yeah, it was kind of a sad deal, but now I do see, I am happy to see that the National MS Society did put an article out about it exactly. And I'm really happy they did it. I mean, it's, I told them that seven and a half years ago, they didn't want to hear it, but now all of a sudden they're saying it not because of me. I'm not saying it's because of me, but sure. Now, now they're saying, you know, this is possibly, this is my, might be the way to go. And, and I did email them back and I said, well, you would have listened to what I said seven and a half years ago. You might have saved quite <laughs> right. a few people. Right. So anyway, I'm not that it's, they didn't do it because of me. I just want to make that clear. It wasn't no, it's just <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. The sooner, at least the sooner people can find it and learn yes. what they choose, like the information that they choose to consume and understand right. and make an informed decision. Because correct, not everyone will choose HSCT. Right. That's right. not the point. Right. Exactly. It is the most effective treatment. And there's research to prove that now, which is amazing. And it's just a shame that it's taken so long for some people to come around. I, I did a little research on it. And the first HSCT treatment was in 1972. Oh, man, I know I'd be on the spot with this. I can't remember. Thomas. The doctor's last name was Thomas. He performed it in 1972. Mm. And here we are in 2022. So, and it was not 100% successful, but it was the first shot at it. And he did get some success, but it wasn't, you know, obviously it was kind of the maiden voyage of it. So they had to tweak it a little bit, but it from 72 to 22 is way too long. Way too long. Indeed. Wait, 50 years. That's just a yeah. long time to. Exactly. And he was an American doctor, by the way. So here we are in 2022. And I'm yeah. curious, why was it important for you to participate in the podcast? Uh, to get the word out. I mean, it's I do it a lot on Facebook. My Facebook, other than talking about the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, go Cardinals. Anyway, but it's other than talking about them uh, or my friends in the in the area here that I know. I'm not a big political guy on Facebook at all, mm. at all. But I do talk about MS as much as I can to get the word out. And because I've talked to so many people, it has filtered down to other people in other states and that know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. And then they, they contact me. I get a lot of phone calls. I probably get two or three phone calls a week for people just asking about HSCT. Mm. Some take it and some don't, and that's okay if they don't, I don't shame them, you know, no. I, but it's, but it is, that is important for me to, to speak out and, and somebody that, you know, I was 54 years old when I went and I know a lot of people in their twenties and thirties that have MS and I know if I can do it, they can do it. Um, the whole, the whole ideal of it, as you know, is just, it's HSCT will pretty much stop it. It's not a hundred percent, but it pretty much will stop the progression. And then anything you gain from that, from the, you know, uh, reducing the symptoms is, you know, a little bit extra, a little icing on the cake, Bonus. which I was, for, I was fortunate, you know, I had seven or eight, I can't even remember them all now, but seven or eight or nine, whatever it was symptoms. And they're all gone. You know, I'm still playing golf. I still do what I do. That's play fantastic. Soccer. Well, yeah, yeah. Why don't you take us through just getting to Russia? Right. So you attend the MS society conference and celebrate your big achievements of fundraising, which is awesome. And then end up getting to Russia by yourself or did, did someone go with you and stay somewhere no. else? Again, I never want to burden anybody. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, I went in 2015 and I went by myself. Um, I did the same thing. I contacted all the unions and everybody I know. And I said, okay, we're here for our yearly. I need money for the MS walk, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm being selfish. This is for me and it's not for anybody else but me so i'm just letting you know in advance so the money came pouring in and that was a large part of paying that you know my fundraiser was that that's fantastic um, so that that was very i mean it was an emotional thing to get a check every week you know it just mm. it was really really nice but yeah by you know going the plane ticket i went first class there and back because i figured if i'm gonna die in this i might as well just go out with a bang so well, i went first class <laughs> nice to be comfortable on a long flight oh let me tell you, i you know what i'm 
on a kind of an off note, I didn't realize that when you fly from San Francisco to Russia, if you look back in coach, it looks just like Southwest. Everybody's sitting on everybody. Mm. Yeah, I, I thought it was a big plane and everybody's spread out and everybody's got all the leg and arm room no. they want because you're flying for 19 hours. I didn't know that. So, but I am glad I got first class. I am. I mean, I was in that little pod and I felt like a, a, a prince or a king or something up there. But mm. um, it was worth it to be rested. But um, yeah, I went by myself uh, with Moscow. Once I landed, uh, you know, you look up when you walk in the gate, um, everything's in Russian and there's arrows everywhere. And, you're, and now I'm trying to think MS isn't so bad, but reading all this, finding my way right. to my baggage is this is the worst. Well, I didn't realize down below each gigantic long, you know, every letter in the alphabet, their alphabet is, is in English underneath. Mm. So and I did forget that English is the international language. So a lot of people speak English. So anyway, I got to my down to baggage claim and there was a man stand, standing there. Um, Alexa is his name. He was holding a, a sign and it said Apperson. So I walked up and I said, hi, I'm Steve Apperson. And he spoke English. Nice. Well, the hospital, the hospital does come and get send somebody to you. So we got my luggage and it was about an hour and a half drive back to the hotel. Mm. That was fine. Everything was fine there. Um, the only rough part was the taxi ride to the hospital the next day because the guy spoke zero English. So now we're playing charades. Oh. And so then <laughs> I did get, I forgot that I translate on your phone. I spoke to him through that and he figured it out from there. But checking into the hospital, uh, the nurse there, Anastasia, that everybody will mm. probably talk about and rave about. She's the most beautiful person on earth, inside and out. Just so nice, so sweet and special. She greets you, brings you in and checks you in. Uh, the hospital, it was a, an amazing, she made you feel at ease and comfort because here you are in a, in a communist country. Nobody, you know, a lot of people don't speak English. You don't know what you're getting into. And she just, like I said, I still, again, talk to her to this day too. She's a very special person, but, um, checking in, you know, I, I did all the check-in with Dr. Fedorenko, um, uh, very kind man. He's a hematologist and neurologist and about five or six other ologists. He's, <laughs> he's, an, he's an amazing, amazing man. Brilliant. Uh, yes. Uh, just, he, honestly, he does it for love. I, he, I don't even think he wants to get paid. He just, he loves seeing people. I know when I was there, I'm kind of going too far forward. Probably when I was there, there was somebody went through with me that she had a, a collapsible cane. And right after the treatment was done, like within three or four days, she already saw results mm. and she folded up her cane and put it away. Nice. And I like, there's no way you're walking right. That's impossible. And she says, oh, my legs feel better. And I don't know if it was a placebo thing. I don't know if it was just the, you know, willing your well, way to walk. I don't know what it was, but she, she was walking. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but she was definitely walking. Probably the chemo knocking down the yeah, inflammation. Probably. It, it could have been. I know with me, I know once I was done with my treatment and probably five, six days later, I bent down because I dropped a dime on the floor and I picked it up and I did stop and I went, you know what? I can feel that. I couldn't feel the dime before on the floor. My fingers oh. were so numb. I picked it up and I, I felt the dime. And I even asked Dr. Federenko when he came in, I said, is that normal? He goes, well, it can happen, but he goes, it's not going to be significant until you get home. But, you know, you're sure. some, you can get some of that feeling back in your fingers. He goes, yeah, that is possible. So I did witness that. I mean, I could pick up a dime. Fantastic. But, um, well, yeah. So how, like, how did it go through treatment? Did you have treat, complications? Treat, no, I was one of those blessed ones that didn't. I, when I went through, I'm lighthearted anyway. I've always been that way. I kind of felt like the hospital husband because everybody was a female there, but me. Mm. So I would go from room to room, make sure they're okay. If they <laughs> needed a, you know, needed another yogurt or whatever, just to try to make them felt, feel at ease. Um, it didn't, I really didn't have any problems. I mean, it's just the whole procedure of, I mean, I don't know how deeply you want me to go into it, but you know, when they, when they came in, I had 13, was it 13, 13 different tests 
and I wish I had them in front of me. I mean, they do an MRI, a, a CAT scan, you know, check your lungs, eyes, your heart, everything. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just a full on physical. Um, I mean, intense physical. It was a, it's huge. And I got the results back the next day. Nice. And, and I'm like, you know, in America, if they did all that, it would take two months to get all that information <laughs> back to you. And this was just in the next day, you know, and he came in and he told me, he said, and I forgot about it. He says, yeah, you're right. I were real concerned. And I'm like, what's what you can say? What do you got? Eye cancer? What's wrong with my eye? And he says, looks like you're developing or starting to develop cataracts. Oh. And I said, yeah, and I forgot. And he was right that my doctor back home said I was developing cataracts, which I never got. But there's something that seems like I'm going to get cataracts in my right eye. So I forgot all about that. I thought, well, that was thorough. They found the littlest thing. They found that the starting, the beginning of, you know, having cataracts. So again, I'm 54 and he did, he did an age assumption, which would make me feel like a million bucks. He said, you're our our age assumption with you, you, you have the, the, uh, body style, whatever, of a 41-year-old. Nice. And I, I said, well, thank you very much. And I was really happy about that. He says, your heart's are, heart is good. He said, obviously, you've never smoked. He went through the whole thing. I said, yeah, it's never smoked and never did anything other than a stupid Tysabry or, right. you know, Rebif. Right. But, um, which, by the way, a little side note, when I took Rebif, that's the worst I ever felt during MS. Mm. I felt horrible. Once I got off of that, it felt like a million bucks. But, um, but anyway, they run all the tests on you. And then once once they cleared you, and it's changed in seven and a half years, I've heard. But once they clear you, you pay $1,500. So my mom wired the $1,500. And that was just for the entrance to be in the hospital. Mm. So then they start the treatment. And then it's just a it's a race. From that point on, it was 30 days. And it was, it was actually 32 days. And it was a race. I mean, they, you know, they're giving you shots twice a day for a week to release the bone marrow into your blood system mm-hmm. and so they can so they can capture it uh i mean you know the the process and then they you know then they give you chemo for four days um which the third day i was a little bit queasy but other than that the chemo was a piece of cake i mean it was really nothing to me i didn't think Good. it did anything um it just it's the steroids they gave you it just it just constant you'd have a rest day and then it's just go, go, go for two or three days. And yeah. it's a rest day. And, and when they, when they did the, I don't know how it was with you, but when they did, Dr. Federenko said that men, maybe because we're stubborn, it's harder to get stem cells from men than women. Interesting. So now, so yeah. So now we have a competition in the hospital. And again, I'm surrounded by women. So they go in and get their stem cells extracted from them and they're doing it in one day most of them one day, most. Uh, and they're starting all this girl power, girl power stuff in front sure. of me. And I'm like, you know, shut up. I got this. So it took me three days. So that being said, the vials, you know, I don't know everywhere else, but the, the vials they collect that they, they collect the stem cells in that they, you know, after they culture it and freeze it and do the, you know, wash it and everything. They're stored in these giant turkey baster things. Um, I had 13 of them. Uh, the women had like four. And I said, why do I have 13 vials? And they only have like three or four. And they said, well, your stem cells, it took you three days. And it took all those vials to collect it. Fascinating. And with them, it, was, it was one day. They only have three. So now I've got 13 of these injection vials that they're going to put in my pick line. And... That was like Christy told me, it feels like an elephant sitting on your chest um, as you're going through it. Well, the women flew through it, no problem. But after injection number 11, all of a sudden it felt like somebody was pushing on my chest a little bit. Then I started to get hot and I would get cold. Mm. And then number 12, they did it. And then now it really feels like pushing on my chest. And Dr. Federico looked at me and he goes, you're stressing. You want me to stop for five or 10 minutes? And we'll do the last one. And I said, no, I didn't come all the way here for that. So let's just do it. And uh, again, me being me, I just, let's just get it over with. So he gave me the last one and I felt like I was having a heart attack. Oh, I mean, gee it was, whiz. 
it was it was deep it was deep deep and he's got all these machines hooked up to me but he's using the old technique of putting the his fingers on your wrist checking your pulse sure i'm asking why aren't you just watching the machines he says because i don't believe in all this i'm old school i don't i just want to you know he's listening to my heart while the heart monitor's right there telling me what it is he's still listening to my heart so we go through it all I, i didn't know it but once you do your stem cells and get them injected in Russia, at least, they always have a stem cell party. So the girls have already had theirs. All right. Know, two days, two days ago. So they, Dr. Federico says, okay, we'll let you rest here for a few minutes. So I got 15, maybe 20 minutes. And then he comes in, he goes, okay, now you got to come out and they want to do the stem cell part. I can barely walk. No. I mean, I'm literally, sure. <laughs> if you go on YouTube and look my name up, I've got 52 videos that I did while I was in Russia. Awesome. Um, they're out of order because I'm 61 now and I'm an idiot, but they're, they're out of order. Cause I guess when you watch a video, that video will go to the top. Well, I did have them day one through 52, whatever it is. And there's parentheses around the day. So now they're all uh, whacked out of, cause people watch them and they move. Sure. But anyway, but that's helpful the, for anyone listening, right? To, yeah. Who wants yeah, to absolutely. check them out. You'll see in the video, if you ever watch the one of me after, you know, at the stem cell party, I can barely walk. I mean, it's, it scared me. I thought I just ruined my body. Sure. But, but after a good two, three hour nap, when I woke up, I felt fine. And then, then it was just a matter of just, you go in isolation and you can't be around anybody. And it was, uh, that was a long 12 days. Yeah. What did you do to pass the time? Well, again, you know what? The people in Mexico, I, I don't feel sorry for them. I'm getting, matter of fact, I got a good friend that's there right now. I don't, they're telling me how bad it hurts and this and that. That is like club med there. I don't even want to hear it. <laughs> I mean, they can sit on the, on the rooftop in the sun. They play bingo. They have phenomenal Mexican food. Well, I'm in Russia eating boiled cow's tongue, you know, that literally. <laughs> and, but to pass the time, I mean, it was just a lot of Netflix. It was, you know, the TV's no good because it's all in Russian. Sure. Uh, I'm listening to music, watching Netflix, going to the internet, working from the ho- uh, hospital bed. I was still working. Just, you know, trying to keep doing these videos. Actually, when I did the videos, that took time up and it made me think, you know, what I want to say. And sure. most of it's off, most of it's off the cuff and most of them are extremely hilarious. But Anyway, it's helpful it was, to have something to pass the time and just keep your oh, attention yeah. on anything other than how you're feeling. And, and Dr. Federico never heard that before. Maybe that's not a thing they say in Russia, but he come in and he said, how you feel? And I said, hey, I'm here. I'm keeping my eye on the prize. And he goes, I never thought of that. And I go, yeah, I am. I'm just focused. Let's just get this. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. Whatever yeah. just you say it, I'll do it. So, uh, you know, I walked around the complex a lot. You know, walk by in Russian Russian soldiers. Can't, can't talk this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing them walk by, you know, they don't really give you the most keen look when you look at them. Um, so I got to walk around and see the complex, get a little fresh air. But it was in the middle of their winter, so it was below freezing when I did a lot of my walks. So yeah. So when was your stem cell birthday? April 9th. Yeah, very cold there. Yeah, it's cold. Their winter's a little different. I mean, they're closer to the North Pole. So it's when it's cold there, it's cold. I mean, it's cold, cold. So it's snow, it would snow one day, rain, and the sun would come out. And then it would snow again, rain, and the sun would come out. So it was kind of odd weather. And not too – well, I guess you had enough daylight during April. No, there was enough day. Yeah, we had we had plenty of daylight. That that we did have. So And, and again, I would walk around the hospital and check on all the girls and see if they're doing all right. Sure. And so then how was the long flight home? Uh, in the wisdom of Dr. Federenko, because you're in the rooms there are 10 by 10 room. It's 10 foot by 10 foot. That's it. And in his wisdom and his love that he has for everybody, he called uh, Delta Airlines ahead of me, um, found my flight and got all my information and said that he would like to have a wheelchair available for me at uh, JFK. So when I got on the plane, I'm, you know, I walked to the plane. I felt pretty good. My legs were a little weak. You do lose muscle. I have to admit. Of course, because you're laying around. Days. Right. Exactly. So I was, my legs were weak. So now I'm in a plane 
you know, for all those hours. And when I got to JFK, which the lady, the, the, uh, the stewardess there, her nephew had MS or has MS. She sat and talked with me for hours about I what bet. I just did. And she was like intrigued with the whole thing. So the reason why she knew is because Dr. Federico called, let them know she knew me on the plane and knew I had a wheelchair waiting for me. So when I stood up and walked out, they brought a wheelchair and I said, they said, Mr. Apperson. I said, yes. And I said, we got a wheelchair for you. I said, I don't need a wheelchair. I took like four steps and I, and I said, yeah, I do. I, I need a right. wheel. I've never been in a wheelchair in my life. Mm. I've never been in that kind of shape. So I did learn in JFK, if you're in a wheelchair, you go in front of everybody in line. Right. So yeah. it's an, it's an international, that's how you enter the country. So I was in front of thousands of people trying to get in through customs which is so, so much less of a weight right then no so i'm not telling anybody to do it out of morals but fake it if you have to get a, need a wheelchair get it so i i got we went all the way through and uh my legs are weak and then from jfk to sfo san francisco uh same thing i was really weak and when my wife saw me i think she was shocked i was in a wheelchair sure but um so, you know, I'm like, what did they do to you? Are you sure? You, I mean, she kept looking at me like, are you just looking me up and down? Like, what did they do to you? Are you okay? Are you, you know, are you still you? I just had chemo and everything else. So she learned on the way home, as you can tell on this podcast, I won't shut up. But I talked all the way home and, uh, you know, just let her know that I got all my faculties. I'm still here. I, nothing's changed. And I immediately went to Truckee. Uh, my mother-in-law has a place in the mountains and I got to stay there for two weeks Nice, and just, and just uh, be isolated from people because it just wasn't good to be around people. So my and, wife would come visit me and it was nice. And so how, like, how was your jump back into physical activity? How long did it take you to kind of recover the walking aspect? Okay. The, this is going to, this is the part, I'm not Superman. I'm not, <laughs> this is going to shock a lot of people that had HSCT within a week. I was already walking out. I did a mile and a half walk in nice. Truckee. And the only thing that got me is the altitude's higher. So you sure. know, it was harder to breathe, but I did walk. I went back to work one month later, back to my job. That's impressive. Um, so I, it was kind of me pushing me, but I, I went back and I thought, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I can't, you know, I can't lay around. I'm not going to accomplish anything laying around. So I went back to work, um, kind of a little side story before I went to Russia, I did a little experiment on myself to see the progression good or bad, but our front yard, I could on 102 day, I could mow two or three strips on the lawn and get about a third of it done. And then I'd almost literally crawl back to the front porch in the mm. shade because my legs would give out and my wife would have towels on my head and wet towels and, and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. So when I got home, I waited for, you know, it was in that month, it was 102 degrees and I looked at the to temperature, thought, okay, now I'm going to mimic exactly the same thing. And I went out and I mowed the whole front yard, no problem. And so how did that feel? That like a, I don't know, it sounds dumb, but I felt like Rocky. I mean, this is, I just mowed the front lawn. Sure. I mean, most people laugh at that. And like today I would laugh at it because there's no problem doing it anymore. But it, when I did that, it was, I just felt successful. Like, okay, I did it. I got this. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so yeah, I did, I did do that. So, but back, you know, going forward, I did go back to work. I stayed isolated. I had to, had to stay isolated until August, September. And my mother-in-law has a mother-in-law's unit in the backyard. And I stayed in that little house because we were having a major remodel in our bedroom and bathroom. There was oh, dust gosh. everywhere. Yeah, no, you can't so be I, around that. So I, I couldn't be around that. And so my wife would come down because, you know, she had to stay at home and deal with, deal with all that. But she'd come down during the nights and spend the night. But uh, I had to stay. It was like August, I think it was. And I finally got out and went home. And then from that point forward, I just started going for it. I'm spreading the word and, and doing my thing and. You know, I've had I've had I've had people that I've helped go that it didn't benefit a lot, but it did stop the progression. So I always remind them, everybody I ever talk to, don't I don't ever want to give false hope. It doesn't work all the time. Well, it's um, it works to halt the progression, right? Yeah, it works. To, yeah, exactly. And I'm so, sorry, you're right. 
mindset is huge and repetition and practice and proper movement and diet and exercise and wellness and all the things, right. Just can add up to continued healing. That's absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. I mean, I, I know, you know, and again, when I talk to people and and even as we're speaking, I, people come to me and don't, they don't believe my story, even in my own hometown here, they don't believe I've been in their local magazine a few times. So they see me and, and I've had people say that's not true because they see me and I sure. said, I, you're not understanding. I was, I did have symptoms. I had restless legs. I had cramping. I side my face would hurt swallowing issues. I mean, it just went on and on and on. You know, I, I had things I couldn't do that I hid. I hid, I'm a good hider. Well, I don't a wanna, lot you know, of like this, said, a lot of MS is invisible. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It is. And, it, and another thing, it's, I think it's a, another thing, I think it's a guy thing. They don't want to show, cause I'm in construction. So that you don't want to show weakness. Mm. So you don't, you don't say anything. If you trip and fall, you blame the rock you tripped over. Sure. Other than it's your, your foot dro- you know, was dragging a little bit and you tripped and that was the truth. Mm. So people, you know, now they see me and I'm, I'm pretty active in my community and, and, you know, I did kind of the whole thing with this HSCT thing. I, I always said, when I was diagnosed, I'm going to watch, walk my, at that time I had one granddaughter. I'm going to walk my granddaughter down the aisle when she gets married. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it in a wheelchair. That was my, that was my goal. And when I got to Russia, I know she would FaceTime me and she, you know, at that time she was four Aww. and she, and she goes, hi, Papa. And I go, hi. And she goes, are your legs fixed yet? And I said, no, Papa's legs are still broke. You know, they're, we're getting there. It's going to happen. Cause well, hurry up and, get home. And that's hard for a four-year-old. I'm sitting there, she's yeah. on my lap and I'm showing her where Russia is in the United States. And then she's you know, looking at him and to a kid, it looks like, okay, so the United States and Russia is like four inches apart from each right. other. So it's not that far. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to explain to a child what, what you're going through, but that was my goal is I'm going to walk her down the aisle. You know, that was just my goal. And she's not ready to be married anytime soon, right? No, no, she's my eleven year old my eleven year old soccer star a star, so I not yet. And not. you're better... feeling capable, right? Within the next oh, ten years of being able to walk down the aisle. Oh Jen, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't I don't think there's anything I can't do. I really I don't I really don't think there is. Are you back to running? Other than me uh yes, I am back to running. Um I'm, you know, I'm 61 now, so you're, you know, I've worn my knees out a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think there's anything I can't, you know, I'm looking now into, you know, I got a good friend of mine that's an avid parachutist. So I'm going to, I want to get jump out of an airplane. I just want to do it. There you go. I always wanted to, I always wanted to do that, which you can have symptoms if you have that, but I just want to do it. I just, I'm just, that's just me. That's awesome. So what about a superpower that you gained from your experience with HSCT? You know, I'm not going to get all corny here, but honestly, a superpower, my, I think my superpower now is, is I've got not just MS, I've got real compassion over people with disabilities mm. now. I never did before. I never, you know, there's a handicapped parking place, a guy pulls in there, whatever. You know, now I'll, I'll tap on a guy's hood of his car when he pulls in. I'll do my thumb like you got to move. So it's, you know, those places for people that need it. Now I know there's some people that use it and don't need it, but it's for people that need it. I had a guy follow me in Starbucks. This guy was huge. And I thought, oh, here we go. I mean, this is gonna, not going to go good. Mm. And he goes, hey, you tapped on my car and told me to move. And I said, yeah, I did. I did. He goes, you know what? Thank you for the, for the reminder. I, that was wrong. And he left. <laughs> like, awesome. All right, that won't, that won't work. But that may not work every time, but that one worked. But yeah, I think I think I really gained the compassion for people with disabilities, of all disabilities. I really do. It's uh, something that once you experience, right, it's hard to forget. Oh, it is. It 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 affects me. It really does. I I, I see somebody. I mean, that's why I carry Starbucks cards. I get the little five dollar cards. I have a pack of them in my car. And I see somebody struggle. I'll give them a card. You know, I don't. I don't give money out because there's a lot of these people that obviously they take the money for things they shouldn't be doing sure. other than maybe buying a, buying a meal or a drink or something. So I'll give them a Starbucks card and tell them, you know, get a sandwich or something to drink. And I do that constantly. That's awesome. 
chance. So what about advice you might offer to someone who is either like newly diagnosed or pondering HSCT and just not quite there? uh, Probably the same thing with a twist. I, I think the same thing everybody else would say, get it early. Everybody says, get it early. You know, just, you, you have to get it early. Um, I think the part of the problem is, and I know people hide it. I think you need to be open about it and let, and you need to let people in because as a, a man, I'm to tell another man, you're a construction worker that, Hey, my legs don't work. I mean, you probably get laughed out of the place. It just, what do you mean? Your legs don't work. Just work. You know, you got, so what? They're a little bit numb and tingly. Just, you know, your balance is off a little bit. Just keep working. Um, you got, you got to be open to people and let them know where you're at first. You got to get your family and friends to rally around you first. And once you got that strong core around you, then you got to do the right thing for yourself. You know, you got to, if I would read, I would talk to people, talk to me, talk to people have done it, talk to people have done it recently, talk to people that are more veterans that have done it longer, even longer than me. It's, uh, that's what I did. I just tried to get as much information as I could. And then it's, uh, with the understanding, like I said, you are going to, chances are pretty strong that you're going to stop the progression, but you got to understand you're, you may not be like me. You may not be golfing or, but you may not hurt anymore. So that's, that's what I would do for somebody that's doing it. You know, get your, get your core group first. You know, don't jump into it. And then now you've done it and now you have nobody supporting you because mm. that that would not be you'd feel like you're on an island. If you decide I'm going to do HSCT and then everybody goes, you're doing HS what? You know, why are you doing that? Why in the world would you go to Mexico and can't you just go to a neurologist here? I think you need to get your friends around you first and explain what you're doing. Um, Build your community. I do. It's it's yeah. So I and I've done I've done I've got. One, two, three, four, four people that I've gone to their fundraiser. And again, it's not that I'm some amazing person, but I've gone to their fundraiser because they're going to do HSCT. And I'm there and kind of headlined a little bit because now they've got friends that they know that this person is going to go to Russia or wherever. So they want to see somebody that's did it, did sure. it, done it. <laughs> I'm from Missouri. I'm from Missouri. Sorry. So <laughs> I've <laughs> somebody that's done the procedure now that it kind of draws the interest of these people. Now they're showing up to see what this person's doing and now they're bringing money with them. So I've done this four times to try help raise money. And it's not because of me. It's just an experience that sure. they can see that actually there. So and you're alive and well, and that's yes. going back to the building community and supporting yourself, especially when you're getting home, which is great advice. I'm curious because I forgot to ask if your neurologist was on board with you going all the way to Russia. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, again, I've, I've told you, you and everybody before, I'm not going to mention names cause I don't think that's sure the right thing to do. I, I don't, I just don't think that's the right thing to do. My doctor, I literally love that man. I got a man crush on him. He's, he's a super guy, a loving guy, a caring guy. He told me that if I go to Russia, he can't support it. For one, uh, UCSF doesn't support it anyway, but he can't support it because he doesn't know the protocol, the sanitation, everything about it. So he said, you may, you may not come home. And I said, well, you know what? I got to go all the way back to Vacaville. That's about an hour's drive from UCSF. I may not make it home either today right so i i I don't who knows when i'm going to come home so he goes well you may not so he he wasn't for it but to show you and he wouldn't openly say it to ucsf because he'd get in big trouble he went ahead and got because i needed my a cd i don't think you could email it then i'm not sure anyway all my medical records of my treatments with him he already got that all together that i could forward to dr fedorenko he uh put a lot of information about myself in that. I think it was a CD. He did all of that. He also set up my uh, hematologist when I got home. Uh, He did all that. He set up two appointments with him when I got back. So I didn't have to call and make an appointment. He knew he needed to see me two weeks after and then a month after 
just to see where my numbers are at and where I'm at. So he cared greatly, but didn't support it because he didn't feel comfortable with it. Sure. I think if you were to ask him if he was a private doctor and if you were to ask him on the side, do you think this is this is something you should, you know, should you do it or not? He, I think he would say, hey, I'd take the risk, too, if you're my son. I mean, if you're my son, I'd say go for it. I think he, I really honestly think he would say that, but he can't. Sure. Um, well, and it sounds like he supported you in various other ways. Yeah, he did a kind of behind the scenes supported me because mm. I know when I did my last test with him, I think it was a one and a half, maybe it was a two, my EDSS number. When I went back a month later, I said, uh, I reminded him, I said, what was my EDSS number? And he says a one and a half. I said, okay, so he's now I'm a month post now and I'm now I'm at UCSF. I'm home. He does all the tests and then he sits there and he goes, huh? Wow. I go, what? And he goes, your EDSS number. I go, what is it? Because I know what it is because I know I did it. He goes, it's a zero. Wow. And I said, I said, so my EDSS went from a one and a half to a zero. So you're telling me I'm not cured. He goes, I can't tell you that. I just can't tell you that. I said, okay. I said, now, what if me and you go across the street? There's a nice little wine tasting place there in the city. I said, well, when we go sit down, have a glass of wine. We'll talk about it. What do you think? He goes, I can't do that, Steve. You know, I can't do that. So me and him still talk to this day. He, matter of fact, he canceled all my appointments. He says, I don't, I don't see you ever coming back here for any appointments. I was going to ask was, if you've ever been back. That was seven years ago. No, never went back. Have you done any MRIs since then? Yes, I have. I have, uh, I got one lesion that just kind of like the irritant. It won't go away. It's kind of, you know, it's, it just kind of like that bad cousin you have. He's just always there. <laughs> right. So it's, um, periodically, it used to be really bad. I used to get an MS hug probably every month, but now I get like an MS hug, like once every eight months, nine months, I'll get a little MS nice. hug. It's not a bad, not a bad one, but I, I get one. It'll, take my breath away. My rib cage feels like it's closing in on me and that's rare. And I just ride the wave for like 45 seconds and it's gone or maybe two minutes and it's gone. Have you noticed so, any common triggers? Like, is it a stress thing? Is it a weather it, thing? You know what? It, it might be stress. It might be stress. I mean, everybody's got stressors and I, and I got, you know, I'm too giving of a person. I always worry about my son and the grandkids and it just, that's always on my mind. Mm. So, you know, I'm making sure I do the, you know, I'm the best husband I can be. So I try to, you know, I do have stressors and I think that might be part of it because I'm kind of high strung anyway. I like to, I like to move and go. <laughs> so, and if I'm not moving and going, I start freaking out like I'm wasting time. But um, yeah, other than that, I, I don't have any active lesions at all other than that one little irritant one. That's just nice. There. Or any symptoms, so, it sounds like. No, no symptoms at all. I, I have nothing at all zero literally zero yeah it it is zero i it used to be really bad i couldn't sleep at night now man my head head hits a pillow and i'm out i mean i i I can sleep all night long no problem and i get up and i'm firing all cylinders ready to go but yeah it's it's it definitely it definitely did make a major impact on my life what it could be and nobody has a crystal ball i mean i tell that to people too this hsct thing and the drugs rebif and tysabri I have no idea if it did anything. Mm. I mean, I, I I don't know. Now, the only thing I can say about HSCT is that MRIs prove it that the lesions are inactive. So, right, you know that that's that is proof right there. But taking Rebiv, you know, I even ask him, how do I know this does or doesn't work? And then the doctor would tell me, I have no idea either. I can't. There's no nothing that I can compare it with. I have no idea. Right. If you're going to progress, you're going to progress. Mm. If you're not going to progress, I read about a guy who was 75 years old and he had his first symptom when he was like 30, and he got his last symptom when he was like 72. Mm. You know, it's it, it can go lay, it can lay dormant, but it just I just don't feel like I have. I honestly don't feel like I have it at all. Permanent remission. Oh, I, I do. I feel like it is. I I honestly. I can say with 100% guarantee it's in remission. I, I, I do permanently. That's fantastic. So is there anything you are grateful for about your experience with HSCT that has gone unspoken? Ooh, that's a tough one. Grateful for that's unspoken. I'm a loud mouth. You got to be kidding me. I got to say that. Because the reason why it's tough for me is because I'm like a chatterbox and anywhere I go about it. 
I'll see somebody in line with a cane or something and, and I can just see the way they're acting. I, I know that person has MS and then I'll just mention something. They say, yeah, I do. And I've helped a few people with that. But the thing I'm grateful for, I think it's given, it's, I don't say this a lot. I, I think it's, it's honestly given me my life back. Mm. I think it's, it's gave it gave me back what I could have lost. I mean, I don't, again, it's a prediction thing. Maybe I wasn't going to get any worse, but I really honestly feel it gave me a second chance at life. It's it. That's why I retired when I was 58 because when I was sitting in the, in the room in Russia in that 10 by 10 room sitting there by myself with nobody to talk to and you start thinking it's, you know what, <laughs> oh, no, again, an old side note, when you're in that room and you're by yourself and it's quiet and there's nobody around you, mm. it really, you go deep, you go deep. I mean, deep. I miss Hopefully. that feeling. I I do. I miss that feeling. I don't know if you're a religious person, but I, I, I got very deep. I mean, it's like, you start checking the boxes on what you've done and who you are and what you've done for people and who you've cared about and who you've hurt. Maybe you get super deep. And I'll tell you to this day, I wish I was back in that room. I I do. I wish I was there going through the procedure again for that moment of isolation and the depth of that. Mm. Now I'm getting crazy deep, huh? So anyway, no, that's powerful. And no, who's to say you can't find a closet somewhere to go? No, you know what? Lock you're, yourself in. That you know what? You're right, and that's what I do now. There, I wake up in the morning before everybody else. I mean, I'm up at six o'clock in the morning. It's the old construction ways. You get up early and mm. go to work. But I'll get up and I'll sit on the chair and I'm just by myself. And I do that. I really meditate, you know, and I, I read and I just. I go to that. I try to go to that place. You know, the only thing that's different about it is that I couldn't do anything about it in Russia. Sure. But when you wake up and you're lazy, you're thinking, I'm going to make a cup of coffee and, oh, shoot, I forgot to take the garbage out. And all of a sudden, you you just start running. Right. I you don't get know. into all, don't all have, the distractions. Right. And I don't have that shutoff valve. I, I, I'm horrible about that. Somebody needs something, I'll drop everything I want for me and I'll do it for them. But in Russia, there was... I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't do anything. You're just there by yourself. And when the internet went down one day, now I have no internet. So I have nothing except listening to music on my phone. I mean, it was, I miss that. It was just, it was crazy. I really miss that. Unplugged. We need to find a spot for you off the grid somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> where you can just go and sit or fish or maybe, well, maybe you'll find it when you jump out of that airplane and, and land. Yeah, maybe that, that could be, but this, I think the launching point probably was my son. He just told me, it's funny. You said fish. That's really odd. You said that he just told me, dad, you need to go get all, I used to fish all the time, but you know, work got in the way. He goes, dad, you're retired. Once you get all your fishing gear, I can go fishing, go to the lake by yourself and sit by the lake and just fish. And just sit there and enjoy there you it. Go. If, you catch a, if you catch a fish, you do. If you don't, you don't. It's kind of odd you said that because he just mentioned that to me yesterday or day before yesterday. I truly believe in a bucket list. And I don't mean crazy. I've seen bucket lists of people say they're just crazy. Like, come on. <laughs> sure. Like, just make it a real, but a real bucket list. I mean, my bucket list, I, it's always on my bucket list is buy somebody a cup of coffee. It's always on my, I do it. I do it every day. I'll buy somebody a cup of coffee. Just, just because they're standing in line. Random act so, of kindness. I love it. I, I do. I, I always do it. And I got teased about that on Facebook when I all my friends, but I do. I just do. But I do. I think you need to make a, a, a reasonable bucket list. I mean, I, I buying a Lamborghini or living in France for a year. I mean, those are nice bucket list items, but sometimes you got to be real, you know, be real a little bit. So, so it sounds like you'll be fishing one day soon. I I'm guarantee I'll be fishing. <laughs> Fantastic. I just got to get all my gear out. Awesome. It's been great to connect with you, Steve. Well, this has been really nice. I enjoy doing this. I can probably do it every day. So <laughs> I, I like, appreciate I like well, spreading the word. Yeah, I appreciate your advocacy for HSET. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been great talking with you. And I really appreciate nice. you sharing your story with us. No problem. I'd do it again a hundred times. So just if you ever want to talk again, I'm always there. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it, too. No problem. Thanks, Steve. Uh, bye-bye. 
be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.org where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Allitzhauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. It has been amazing to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind. Be well. John Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician and take good care.